Yeah, we wanted to go live tonight, have a little discussion about some things happening out in the world. Of course, we're a couple of days removed from the Super Bowl. Big story, especially if you're in the hip-hop halftime show. You know, I thought going into it that it was going to be a big moment, you know, a big moment in terms of Super Bowl halftime shows, the, you know, the history of entertainment, certainly a big moment in terms of, of hip-hop and what it means for a, a genre and a culture that, uh, you know, really started in the 1970s. Finally, now, in 2022, making it to the big stage. I mean, in some ways, you could argue this is the validation of, of hip-hop. I mean, once you make it to the halftime show, you've made it in pop culture uh, by certain measurements. Uh, so it was, it was a big, big thing. And I wanted to kind of get people's thoughts on it. Some people, as with everything in, in this climate, some people loved it, some people hated it. So what do we think? I liked it. Um, you know, I had a few questions, but I liked it. I enjoyed, um, you know, them getting out there doing their thing. And, and they, you know, like you said, hip hop just kind of took that whole stage over. And um, no, I thought it was a, I thought it was a real good look. So uh, do you say yeah, maybe while we're at it, we should. Uh-huh. Go ahead. I was gonna say there were a lot of memes when when the um, initial oh. initial teaser was going up about the performers and people were were tweeting about like oh I heard there's gonna be some football being played at the Eminem and Dr Dre show. Mm. Okay. I was gonna say while we're at it, we should probably uh, introduce ourselves, especially give a connection to hip hop. I mean, it's the reason why we're discussing oh. this. Jay Carter, you may know him as Timid, you know, the noted <laughs> hip hop MC. Yes, yes, yes. And then, of course, you yourself. Uh, That's right. Paisan at the MC Skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've done a lot of work together in the music game, performed all across uh, the country. Yep. Uh, That's and to have hop except the music. I said, I really have no connection except listening to You have no connection? Music. I can say that because it was when it started where in New York. Yeah, okay, that's right. So yeah, I had a, lot, I had a connection to it in the city. Yes. So but one thing I liked about the um, the halftime show was the boots that Mary J. Blige, Mary J. Blige <laughs> wore. Oh, I was like, oh, I could take those boots. <laughs> you like the boots? Oh, I loved them. Someone said on Twitter <laughs> that she should come out with a a line of boots. Yes. I guess her boot game really? is known. Yeah. What do you think of the show? Yeah, so um me or Shiva? What did I think? You're asking of me or Shiva? Uh yeah, Shiva. Shiva. Oh, I, I liked it. I thought it was very a very nice show. And although uh Snoop wore his what his uh equipped colors, I still like him. <laughs> okay. I guess that was one of the criticisms. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My one of my things was, I mean, that that and I understand that criticism. I, I really do. Um, and, and doing the crip walking and all of that, I, I really understand that criticism. My thing was more from a, a, a performance standpoint, because, uh -huh. and I'm sure it happens on all the performances, but the way the stage, the setting was set up and it was a nice set. It was a really good set with the different, you know, houses and the different, um, you know, backdrops inside there. But they had the back walls up, so half the stadium couldn't see mm. what was going on inside the thing. Instead of just, they could have just pulled that wall out and right. made it a see-through. They must thing. have gotten it on the screen, but they couldn't see it in person. Yeah, yeah, and I, I assume that's what it was. But it's just like I was just thinking. 
that for some reason it just like irked me. I'm yeah, like, just that, that wasn't as impressive as, as it could have been. I, I think you're right on that. I mean, for the production value that you're expecting, right? You want something yeah. a little bigger, better. Uh, of course, a lot of people talking about 50 Cent hanging upside down, um, and some people are trying to say that he, he gained weight. I, I, I don't know, but you know, for those who don't know, that was supposed to be a recreation of the in the club video. So it wasn't just like a random scene. Right. They, they were trying to recreate right. that. But come on, he he did look like 60 Cent, like a little bit, like you know, he's been eating oh, good. Right. He's been eating. <laughs> and look, he he put he good eating shared, He shared some of those memes too. So look, I know. Right. I guess it's all good. But somebody did make a valid point, I think, that um, he's not going to see a lot of the memes. I mean, he sees some of it, but, you know, everyone's having a conversation about this. If they're making fun of him, he's not going to see most of that. And quite frankly, he's probably not going to care. But it could affect someone else who sees it. Like if, you know, you have a friend's list, you might make fun of him to your friends. But maybe one of your friends might see that and, and feel hurt about, you know, if they don't feel confident in themselves. What do you think about that criticism? Hmm. I mean, yeah. it, it's, I, I can, I hear that, but yeah. at the same time, like, um, you know, are we going to just cut out all kind of jabs and barbs? It, it's, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's, a, I, think I, it's I, think, a, I think it's being taken yeah, I think it's being taken a little bit out of context because they were doing something that was retroactive. Mm-hmm. That's what it was about. Something that was retroactive, and for those that may not have been around when Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Mary J. Blige and Fifty Cent um, started performing, so I thought that was good to go retroactive and also bring it to the future. So, so right, so that was with the Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, but my thing is on that point, Sheba. I felt like, you know, the show was only, was it like 13 minutes, 12 minutes? They, they jammed a lot into that short amount of time um, to the point where you, you were expecting more. Like, you know, they were announced, they're announcing it as Dr. Dre, I think Snoop and Eminem, and I think they mentioned Kendrick and Mary as well. They, they did not advertise 50, so he was unadvertised. But you only got the one Eminem song. I don't know if Snoop even did a full song. Dre did a few of his songs. Um, I liked the Tupac food on the piano that he played. But that would be my critique. If, if, I, if I was in charge of that, I think I would have probably taken one or two of those artists off to give more time to the others. Oh. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I feel the same way when watching them thinking, wait a minute, like, M only went once. If he did just, like, half a verse, like, where's, you know, there's, and I guess it was supposed to be, maybe it was supposed to be, a, it was honoring Dre. And so these were... Yeah. These were people that Dre, through Dre, came to the forefront. And so it wasn't Absolutely. really about them. It was more about Dre. So, so you know what? In my opinion, then, it should, it should have been advertised as a Dr. Dre Super Bowl performance and right. have, have the rest be his guests, right? Because when you're advertising all of these artists, you're, you are expecting more from each of them, but you just can't fit them all in the time. Unless right. you just, like, do bits and pieces of multiple songs. And yeah. I, I, I can see that. I understand that, what you're saying. But still, these artists, still those songs were songs that were hits, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Songs, hits. So that's uh, that. All that played into this, um, to to that halftime show too. 
And he and I like the fact that he did give the artist a chance to uh, come out and say, like, you made this song a hit for me. You made that song popular for me. So right, that was yeah. a good thing. You know, it worked out. I mean, he was the maestro. Yeah. So was it the best ever? Uh, I like that as well. Or was you know what's funny? When I worked uh, in Albany, I worked on a, a Senate resolution honoring Prince when he passed. And mm -hmm. New York State Senate actually passed this resolution. One of the points on it was that he was the best Super Bowl halftime performer. Uh, but interestingly, it wasn't the Super Bowl halftime show that was honored, but his press conference that he did, which was a legendary press conference where he did an impromptu performance. Nobody was expecting it. It was for the media at the time. That was considered the best Super Bowl halftime moment or, or performance, if you want to call it that ever, even though it didn't take place at halftime. People certainly mm -hmm. cite the Prince performance. They also cite the Michael Jackson. Um, but I think this one is in the conversation, if only for its historic value. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? You, you, you seem like pondering something there, Timothy. Um, I don't. I don't know. Best ever, like, like I said, because because some of like the points that that you brought up, as far as like it felt like you wanted more from different artists and stuff so i kind of got that same feeling like mm -hmm. it was, that's it not was, me trying to put it down or or no, no, no. It really i guess i'm yeah, absolutely. If I had to nitpick absolutely but i yeah. mean i i identify with that same feeling so when i think about best ever like i can't mm -hmm. go best ever because i feel that same way like yeah it, it felt like there should have been more because of how it was uh, advertised i hear you so, yeah i hear you was it good? It would have been it nice if it had been the entire half hour halftime, right? <laughs> Just go from eight to eight thirty, and that was it. Yeah. That would have been great. A lot of people, though, that I'm seeing on my timeline are responding very positively. Even people I didn't think were hip hop fans. Some people say that right, they're not hip hop fans, but they really enjoyed that performance. The yeah. energy of it, yeah. you know, what it did. A lot of people, yeah, but you know, there were some who who were not happy and disgruntled. And then there's also the game. Thought that he should have been included. Who? Mm. The game. <laughs> oh, exactly. Oh, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, that, that kind of sums that that one up. Um, <laughs> what did you think of the controversy? I know some people try to make a big deal about uh, Eminem briefly taking a knee. Oh, mm. I, I didn't give too much thought uh, to that, but. Um, was that the right time and the right place to do that after this fabulous well, performance? After what? I said after that fabulous performance of, of all yeah, the that fabulous performance. No, I mean, but an interesting thing about the timing, though. I don't know. But, 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 but here's, but, but, but to that point, though, see, a lot of people who were against the whole idea of taking the knee said that it wasn't the right time to do it during the national anthem. But he wasn't doing it during the national anthem. He just did it during a, a rap performance, really. So why is that disrespectful? Well, that wasn't what that was about, you see? And maybe that, that performance wasn't about, um, shouldn't have been politicized. Politi politicized. Mm. That was a political statement. OK. Uh, I don't think that they were giving political statements in the music that they um, sung or performed. The performers well, over there. Music, 
They weren't giving political statements. They were get, they were entertaining. Um, well, but, but two of the songs did, did make reference to those issues. Um, one of them happened to be censored. And that's another thing I guess we can touch upon. On the Kendrick Lamar song, they actually mm-hmm. censored the line he said about police. Um, on, when Dr. Dre did Still Dre, they let him say, still not loving police. Uh, he did say it like he wasn't quite sure of himself. I don't know if he thought that maybe he was afraid of the controversy or something. He, the way he said it, it didn't seem like as emphatic as you would expect him to say it. But nonetheless, that was in there. So, I mean, just to play devil's advocate, uh, those messages are in the songs that they're performing. Right. But that was at a time, you have to look at the time. Well, I guess you could say the time is kind of, it's kind of shaky because the time that they were doing that, that was uh, like in the, what they call in the hood songs. It wasn't songs where you're out there on the stage for everybody to take. So you think you should have been presented in a more universal appeal type type way where they you know, not not to be divisive at that moment. Right, because I don't think I mean okay. the song is what it is. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to take away from right. their students or, or gotcha. what they've gone through. That's not what I'm saying here. But I'm saying I think did did Eminem? Uh, okay, let me ask this question: Did Eminem have a political song along from Dr. Dre? Did oh, he, he didn't lose yourself. That was all he was able to do, right? Right. So what was that about then? I mean, I could see Snoop Dogg taking a knee. I could see Dr. Dre, even Mary. But of course, she didn't want to mess up those wow. colors. But <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's an interesting take. No, I don't, I don't really. I hear you. I don't really. I, I, Eminem has shown that he has been a supporter of Kaepernick and of that movement, and he's been an, an ally in this fight against uh, police brutality against uh, black people, and he's in you know, he's in hip hop music. So I, I thought it was perfectly fine. My question was more of like the taking a knee, the taking a knee protest was to call out police brutality against black people. And my question was, why was he the only one who did it? I would have liked to see them all do it. Right. The only, you know, why was he the only one? Now, if it was the right time, I absolutely, I think it was the right time. Anytime's the right time for, for that. And, um, I think that was, you know, great. I just want to know why he would have been the only one. Why didn't Dre do it? Why didn't Snoop? Why didn't, I mean, these are, you know, Dre is famous for F the police, which was talking about, um, you know, police uh, violence against uh, black people in the hood. You know, uh, a young guy, bad because I'm brown was another in their other um, song. So, you know, Snoop has been roughed up by the police, you know, Kendrick Lamar has spoken on it in his records. Like, why was M the only one who took the knee amongst the sea of black folks who should have been taking the knee if that was going to be a statement? So that was And the fact that only he did it and for that brief moment there between songs, uh, it almost was easy to miss that it was a statement because I saw some people even debating whether that was just him kind of like fading into the background to allow Dre to do his thing, put the spotlight on Dre. If they all would have done it, it would have been very clearly a political statement. Right. Yeah, I, I look. I'll be honest. But, I, I missed I, it the first time through. I missed it that that that's what he was doing it for. I just like, oh, Eminem is kneeling for you know. It's I guess Dre's time right now. I don't know. It didn't really you know. Right. But you know, to your point, you know, to to talk about police brutality that's been going on for so long. 
Um, I do, what I liked about hip hop is that they had a chance to express that. Because when I came, when I was younger coming along and uh, the police brutality, which was going on among uh, black people, black and brown people, it was expressed, it was talked about, but it wasn't on a larger right, platform. Right, right. They right. brought it to a right. larger platform. Right, and right. When, oh, you should keep that. Probably the attitude is you should keep that quiet. It should be talked about on your kitchen table. And they were like, no, some you have to know what's going on and how we feel. Right. So, right. And, and, and with him taking the knee, I, um, it really meant it would really have meant it didn't move me either anyway because. These those black men that were out there have expressed verbally what has been happening to us and how it has hurt us to a very high level. So you don't think that is good for someone to show support uh, of well, that, that feeling and kind of bring yeah, that further it, into conversation? But was he doing it for support or was he doing it for show? Which one? Gotcha. So you see, it might not be a a genuine display. Right. What was he That's doing? Well, yeah, so is that the question is ask M ask Eminem instead of, you know, what were you doing that for? Was it for show or was it for support? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a legit question. I would give him the benefit of the doubt from because of past uh, statements and, and motions, like when he did, he did his thing against the, the BET, the BET that's thing. Right. And, you know, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, the question, yeah, sure. I mean, you can ask that question as well. Like, you know, would it be, because it would be obviously news making and, and, and controversial. And so mm -hmm. it would play as far as performance wise, it would play very well in that type of uh, environment to make like talk, you know what I mean? But I'd give them the benefit. We are live on Facebook. So we're interested in people's thoughts on all this. Um, I don't know if you guys have the video up, I don't have it up on my phone. So if one of you guys can pull it up and see if anyone is engaging with us here. Well, James Powers said he thought Springsteen and Prince are tied for the best halftime show ever. And Michael Jackson was great too, but this was really good though. So okay. Prince is usually the one that people are saying is the best. Yeah. So. The Springsteen one? I, I, I didn't think of that one in that conversation. That's, that's yeah. an interesting pick. Yeah, I don't remember that one. I don't. I don't remember Michael Jackson's one either. I'm not a Super Bowl. Of course, guy. Yeah, the controversial one with Janet and Justin, but that was, I guess, not considered one of the greatest. Just one of the most memorable, right? <laughs> right. Infamous. Right. Infamous. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, sound. It was a good show, though. I. I Still, yeah, no, and I was saying that this opens the door. Now, maybe for more hip hop at the Super Bowl, maybe we can do an East Coast version next time Super Bowl comes out East. I did have a cynical I like thought. That. I did have a cynical thought about yeah. that. Yeah. Because the, the, what was it, last year? I believe it was last year or the year before when Adam Levine did the Super Bowl. And this was after the George Floyd um, murder. And the whole, you know, since the, the whole um, taking a knee protest was 
you know, to highlight police brutality. So there was a lot of black performers who turned down doing the Super Bowl, um, the previous Super Bowl, to support that movement. And then Adam Levine took it, and then people were like, it was criticizing him and, and whatnot. Because um, I remember even Cardi B famously was like, nah, nah, I wouldn't do it. Um, so yeah. the thought was that they made it so hip hop this year to try to get back in the good graces of that, that constituency, that, that mass of the black community that was shunning it previously. And they're like, okay, well, well, look, we're, we're, we're really nice and cool here. Here, have all this, have all this blackness. But you know what's on. weird about that? You see people on both sides of this issue say that they're so turned off from football because of, of the controversy, right? People on one side say that they, they won't watch football anymore because uh, of, of the kneeling, I guess. And then people on the other side say, well, Colin, Colin didn't get a job and you know, they didn't do a good enough job for protecting him, protecting the movement. So you have, everyone is saying that they're turned off, but yet everyone is still seemingly watching it. I mean, the ratings are still very high, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched, I don't, I don't watch it anyway. So it was easy for me to, it's easy for me to continue to protest the Super Bowl. I, yeah, you've been doing it all along. I've been doing it all along. I was, I was before Kaepernick. Yeah. yeah. So. Right. Now I posted something on Twitter about like, I just can't get into football because of the rules of the game. It's just so, oh. sometimes things just bother like the whole intentional grounding thing where you can, you can throw the ball away, but you, you, you can't do it. Stop the clock. If it's too obvious, but you can, if it's, if it looks like you're kind of making an effort to not be obvious, like what are you doing here? Like as a lawyer, that's kind of stuff bothers me, you know, like you're not fooling anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I like to play. I like to play, but watching sports on TV has always bored me. Like, I'm yeah, kind of the same. At least when I was younger, I liked to play sports, but not watch them as much. Yeah. So, but. Uh, I hear we have another comment from James. Yeah, I see that. He was talking about, um, he was just confirming the Michael Jackson one, saying that it was uh, in 1993. 93. Yeah. Yeah. So I missed a lot of them because, I, like I said, I, I never really had that kind of interest. And and anytime to me, the Super Bowl was always um, it was it was it was Super Bowl commercials and then halftime show. <laughs> like the game was not even a part of it, and I didn't watch it. Tertiary. This was a good game. I gotta say that. Yeah. I saw Yeah, it was something different. So I said I'll watch it. That was good. That was a pretty good show. I really liked it. Good. Well, well, there you go. We can move on to uh, the vaccine mandate. So we, we wanted to talk about that, what's going on in the city and the state of New York, and I guess more broadly what's happening nationwide with that. But uh, the mayor is announcing he's laying off, I think it's 1,430 workers, roughly, for refusing to get vaccinated. These are city workers in New York City. So... I guess before we begin on on the law, some of these legal challenges, maybe distinctions between vaccine mandates at the state, city, and federal levels, we can just get into general thoughts about, you know, do we think that there should be a vaccine mandate? Um, you know, should it be a, a choice? Like, what do we think about that? I think it should be a choice. I agree. I don't think okay. It, I don't and, think and, and, and why? Be. Why do you think that? Uh, because people should have a right to uh, well, first of all, your civil liberties have been being taken away when they mandate mandate vaccines. And I think people should have that right to say, if I want to um, 
get the vaccine or if I shouldn't get the vaccine. I think that's a constitutional right. Okay. Okay. Let me push back a, a little bit, but go ahead, Tim. I see you want to say something. <laughs> no, I, I was saying I, I agree that I don't think I'm not in favor of the mandates. I don't. I don't like it. I think it's it's very an uncomfortable thing um, to mandate the the vaccine um, because it, you know again that's I think we've talked about before that idea of slippery slope and how it's often used. But there is potential for you know that to be anything that that can be mandated to that point. And we're talking about a toxic substance that is being ingest in, injected into people's bodies, and there are no long term studies at this point. Um, now, on the other hand, I do understand being an anti-vaxxer. Get ready for the no, hate mail. I, no, I'm not saying that because the vaccine works. It no, does I, what I know. It's supposed to do. I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I'm just saying that like this, this topic is so delicate that yeah. you can, if you make any point at all, you know, prepare for the right. heat. I think the vaccine does what it's supposed to do. It, it's it's you know right. doing how it is, but I think you know um, that mandate is is kind of the, the issue now. It's yeah. not the first time. I mean, if anyone that's worked in fast food, um, you've you've had to do like the TB, the TB tests and, okay. and or if yeah. you've worked around, um, you know, if you're in the military, there, there are vaccines that you have to have. There are things that you have to have usually for school. And that's always been so it's nothing new. Um, but I think it's being that it is a vaccine is kind of a. Yeah, I think it's a well, then let me ask you this. Though. I, it's a, I, I, I think it's a personal choice. But do you think, though, that there's a difference between a private company mandating it and the government mandating it, or should there be? Does the company have a choice to say, we want people who are vaccinated to work here? Uh, I think they do. I don't like it, but I think they do have that that choice. Um, because, I mean, they, they you know, it's a private company. They can make their rules. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to whether you think not not what the law is, but I'm just you know, like I, I, what is your belief on that? I don't like it. No, I don't either. No, I don't. I think you can have uh, the testing to make sure that people are um, COVID-free. Um, you can have them do weekly testing for those that are probably. Uh, immunocompromised, maybe they would need the vaccine. Mm -hmm. I don't think a person that's healthy that, ha that has that does not have any ish health issues should receive the vaccine. I hear you, but two questions that I guess. If I'm starting my own company, let's say it's a small business, I only hire a few people, do I have a constitutional right to determine uh, whom I hire in terms of, you know, do, do I want people who are vaccinated or non-vaccinated? Does that, does that implicate my rights at all, or is it only the rights of the people working for me, number one? And number two, do you have to balance public health interests with private rights, especially in a, in a pandemic like this? I mean, constitutional rights are always narrower um, in, in public health crises and wars, for example. No, I, I, and I think, I think, I think, yeah, you, you, you'd have the right to say that, you know, we prefer people mm -hmm. here vaccinated. Um, I, I just, I just don't like the, the environment that that creates and this idea that people get fired because they didn't get vaccinated when, um, you know, the vaccine 
what it does is mainly, I mean, you do carry a lower viral load, um, but it, it's mainly it helps you get through it easier if you catch COVID. Um, right. But I guess it does slow down the, the, the spreading of it, but just the mandate doesn't sit right with me. The mandate yeah. doesn't. So it's really, yeah. So, so let's kind of take a step back. It's really just the mandate, not even about yeah. the vaccine, any kind of mandate right. you, you kind of are viscerally opposed to when it comes to the government forcing you to, to do something, especially if it's a medical decision. Well, right. and I, think, right. Good. I, I think people would have, if it wasn't mandated, I think people would have done, would have done it for public health reasons, for safety's sake. Because if I have a child, a small child, and I uh, think they may get COVID, then okay, I'm going to protect myself because I want to protect my child. But I like uh, Timon is saying, when you say I have to do this, then it, that's like crossing that fine line. Mm. So you think people rebel because they're told they have to. Now they don't want to, even if they would have done so if it was voluntary. Right. Some. I think, some. I think some. Yeah, I think some, right? I think I think another big thing of the vaccine is that it's um, very new. And so there are no long-term studies. Um, on this particular one, and they can say, "Well, no, this—it's you know the 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 answer to that is no. It has been studied for a long time, and they're talking about going back to 2003, 2004, when the mRNA technology was being invented. They've been studying that for mm-hmm. for use for years, but it wasn't for use with this vaccine. It was just that delivery method. And so I think the Part of it is that it's new. You know, these vaccines take time, 10 years or more to get some long-term studies and to get some but, results, even though even though this very unusual circumstances now, they've had like a billion doses delivered. And so they're getting data much quicker than they could before, but we still don't know what's right. gonna happen five years out. Right. So don't you think this is also very politicized? I mean, people seem to be against it just because Democrats are saying do it. Right. No matter what it is, it could be the mask. It could be the vaccine. I mean, how much of it is genuine? How much of it is just this is what my team says? I don't know. But if all those arguments are in good faith. But it's all in the delivery method. First, you said if you get the vaccine, you won't get COVID. Okay, people have gotten the vaccine and they have have gotten COVID. First, they said you could take off your mask. You're okay. You know, you don't have to wear your mask. Then they said, oh, you know, for health reasons, wear your mask. And I don't think the, the issue is not so much mandates or the COVID, I mean, or the vaccines. I think the issue is people, you can, you tell people one thing one day and you tell them something next the other. Like well, a month. There's already a lot of distrust and that just makes it worse. Like, yeah, I, no, I understand that. So I mean, for the record, I'm, I am pro-vaccine, and I do hear what you, both of you are saying about mandates, um, just, just in terms of infringing upon individual liberties. I like people to have choices to make their own decisions with what they do, but I also recognize the fact that we are in a public health crisis, and it's been going on for years now, and you know, it, it's very frustrating to, to a lot of people, um, and it's a, it's a very dangerous uh, pandemic that we you know, so it's still a global pandemic that we're in the middle of. And I do think that those individual liberties have to be balanced against public health concerns because people are going to say that they have a right to not die from COVID. I mean, I know that's not a constitutional right, but, uh, you know, pe- people have an interest in the, the public uh, being as safe as we can be here. 
And and listen, I, I understand the immense, immensely difficult position that the government is is in and the medical community is in in regards to this because you've got I think the mandates really came about to me I think the mandates really came about because people pushing back on doing the very simple things of of hand washing and wearing their masks because they're saying oh you're treading on my civil liberties but then the cases keep going up and people are like listen we need to fix this we need to get back to normal and so the government's under pressure to do something and so then it's like okay well we've got a vaccine well people are like I'm not taking that and so they're still not wearing their mask. And so like the government's, it's like, do something, fix it. And so now it's come to a mandate. So they're under immense pressure to do something. We want it fixed, you know, even though that's not mm -hmm. how reality works. So um, I think part of it is, you know, it's it's part of it, the people's fault. Um, part of it is, you know, scientists with, with you know, their, their thoughts and their ideas. But so, I mean, my position isn't one of that, I only think this because of you know some conspiracy or because of some yeah, of this. Like I understand this yeah. pressure all around on on it. And it then is. on this point, I think in the chat we've got um, James is talking about um, cities immunocompromised, and so he can't make the antibodies even after getting the vaccine. He's had three doses so far and still doesn't have them. And so, um, yeah, for for people like him people around you being vaccinated uh, makes makes it a, a little bit safer for him um right. it's it's a you know it's not an easy question um i think again back to me the mandates are, are an issue um the vaccine being very new is an issue and then it doesn't the idea of for the public health is is great and very utopian but it doesn't answer questions like for example um, you know, two people in my family got the vaccine. One was hospitalized for a week. The other one was in and out of the emergency room four times in two weeks and still three months in dealing with effects from the vaccine. And so the drug companies- But that's anecdotal. I'm sorry? That's not based in, in data. That's anecdotal, right? That's not based in, in data. No, no, that's, that's not, it's that they went to the hospital for side effects of the vaccine. Oh, no, yeah, I understand. I'm not doubting that it happened. So from my question is from my point is from that standpoint, how do you how do you address those individuals who are who got the vaccine for the greater good for the, the, the public health? And then now they've got potentially long term effects there. That's financial um, burden on them. The drug companies aren't liable for it. Um, oh. Their doctors aren't going to treat them for free. Um, and so they've gotten, this is their reality now, trying to do something else, and there's no recourse for that either. So. So it's a tough, it's a tough situation. And that's why I said, you know, that's what I made the statement about it. Uh, because I think if they didn't have so many, when you look back at Fauci and some of the, the CDC uh, personnel, doctors, they had so many, they, they would tell you something one, one week and the next week they're telling you something else. So it gets to the place and that's a scary thing because if you can't trust the person that knows about this in detail, um, it, it leaves room for saying, well, I don't wanna bother with it. 
and I'm not taking away from you, Mike, being uh, pro-vaccine, uh, but it does give uh, rise to mm, an issue. Uh, should I or shouldn't I? If I take it, will I be ill? If I take it, what's the long-term effect? You know, five years, like you said, five years out for now. And people think about these things because still in all, and I understand it being a, a pandemic, but still in all, five years down the road, you still could be dead. You know, and, and people think like that. You know, it's all, and, and it's hard to control, I think, people. Yeah, but the right people are dying now. Right. You know, we, we all be dead if, if we don't get, if we don't, not enough people get the vaccine. So, you know. I yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Um, I, you know, part of my frustration when I read the news coverage on this is there's always lawsuits uh, challenging all these mandates at every level of government. But the articles don't often tell you. In fact, they very rarely tell you why, like what legal argument is being made and what the judge's rationale is. So you'll just see an article that says such and such mandate was struck down by a court or such and such mandate was uh, upheld by the court. And you have no idea from reading the article what that's about, why it happened, what, you know, what the circumstances were. Um, and I think that plays, that feeds into the cynicism as well, because people just think it's arbitrary. It depends on maybe just what judge you get, like the roll of the dice. Um, and to a certain degree, that's true. It does depend on the kind of judge you get, but it also depends on the, the court you're in, the legal arguments you make, you know, and the, the laws that are implicated. Like on the federal level, there, was, um, there, there were a few mandates that were implemented one of which was for all uh, large companies to have uh, vaccines or for, you know, for their employees or to be tested uh, every week. And uh, that was actually struck down on the grounds that, that Congress had already passed legislation uh, uh, listing basically what the, the federal power was and what the president could and couldn't do to regulate that. And they said that uh, uh, see, I took some notes here. This was this was the the OSHA requirement uh, for a vaccination or a test so that was struck down by the Supreme Court on January 13th, and they had said that uh, Congress can Congress gave OSHA uh, or basically the executive branch, the, 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 we'll call it the president, the power to regulate workplace um, and, and occupational dangers, but they did not consider regulating the public health broadly an occupational danger. So they struck that down, but they did uphold, and this was a, a Pure curium decision, meaning there were no dissents. The entire court just made this decision. In the case of Biden v. Missouri, they upheld the Secretary of Health and Human Services requirement for health care facilities to make sure that all their workers were vaccinated. And they tied that to Medicare and Medicaid funding. But the reason why they upheld that one was because Congress had passed a law saying that that particular individual, that secretary, um, could tie the funds for Medicare and Medicaid to necessary requirements in the interest of health care and safety. So basically the, the arguments there, if you wanted to distinguish those cases, was Congress had already passed laws saying what could be done and what couldn't be done in that field. And they found that the one re requiring all employees of large companies to get vaccinated was outside the bounds of the law Congress passed already. So Congress already spoke on this. So this wasn't even really decided on constitutional grounds. They were saying that Congress had already said what was allowed here and what wasn't allowed. They said Congress had allowed explicitly, basically, the, uh, the health care workers mandate, but not the large company you know, employees generally. But then you also had one about federal employees. And this one might look like the one that Mayor Adams did in New York City, where he required city workers to get the vaccine. One of the, the mandates was, uh, you know, President Biden said that 
federal workers how to get vaccinated. Now, that one was hit with a preliminary injunction, which was issued by uh, district court in Texas. Uh, Judge Jeffrey Brown, Southern District of Texas, issued this decision on January 21st. And he said he cited the Supreme Court decision that had just been passed, just come down. He said that Congress gave the executive branch the power to set employment regulations, but this did not fit as they was not fit as an employment regulation. It's beyond the president's authority. So Congress would have to pass a law imposing vaccines and the president couldn't do it with the stroke of a pen. Um, in the city, there's no such law. You know, the city council doesn't have a law that was passed in New York City that takes that power away from the mayor. The mayor has broad power in the city to regulate what goes on with the city workers. So, so far there have been several lawsuits to try to strike that down and they have not been successful. However, there is still pending litigation. They're on different grounds though, right? The federal ones are about what Congress can and can't do mainly. Um, in the city, there are arguments like it, it violates religious freedoms, but so far those have not been successful. So just kind of wants to break down some of the differences between the, the federal mandates and the, the local ones and, and why certain ones were upheld and other, others weren't. Yeah, I, I, and the thing that happened in New York with the, you said 1,400 people, that's just a lot of people out of work, um, especially at a time like this. It's, yeah, yeah it, it's not a very comfortable situation. But I, I mean, again, I, I can see both sides of the argument. It's yeah, just difficult right. all the way around. Um, it is. But 1,400 people, James mentioned, um, we were talking about potential long-term effects of um, the vaccine. And in the chat, he said that there's possible long-term effects from COVID as well, which is absolutely true. That's right. It was absolutely yeah. true. So it's, 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 it's scary. Yeah, it really is. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, it, I, I'm, Tim, but I'm with you on that. It's, it's, it's just, it's scary. It's, I see both sides. I see both sides yeah. of the argument in this. I really do. Yeah. And and so how is that going to affect New York, though? Think about it. 1,400 people all at once, just boom, you're, you're out of a job. Like, Yeah. Well, the mayor said that basically they're quitting because they had adequate warning and they right. chose to do this. Some did it as a political statement. So, you know, you, you get what you get. Some people just said, if you're making me choose between my job and getting the vaccine, I'm choosing not to have the job. But, um, but you know, it, it is an unfortunate situation. We don't we don't want to see this many workers laid off, especially in, in a time like this where there's just there's so much uncertainty and, and scare happening. Yeah. You know, and with good reason. Absolutely. Been, but this this has been some pandemic because this has divided families. Uh, mm. People have yeah, I've heard people say. You know, you can't, they have not seen their grandchildren Absolutely. and they won't see their family. I've heard that because of them not getting a vaccine. Uh, parents don't agree with it. They won't give it to their grand, to the child. So grandparents can't see their uh, grandchild. I mean, this is really something. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm just lost for words <laughs> with this. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's a little scary. It, it is. It's very, it's very scary. Um, and, and I think, I think we can hope that this is temporary. Um, and this is not the first time that, you know, um, people, we as a people have gone through a pandemic. Um, you know, the 1918 flu pandemic was a two year, was two years. 
and oh, wow. killed upwards of 50 million people worldwide by by most estimates and um you know at that time we did the same thing there was hand washing there was masks there was social distancing and you know people fought against it people fought against wearing the masks um you know they called them mask slackers in the media because they wouldn't wear their masks and um you can see old photos from back then with people at like sporting events wearing masks and stuff so it's it's not new but the thing they remember is that we got through it and um we can do it again it's just we're just in that time it just hasn't happened in our lifetime but we're in uh, that in that time right now i wear my mask i wear <laughs> here's the thing with the mask it's what so funny i wear it it's funny because being out here in Japan, right? And we watching, looking at people in the States freaking out about wearing masks and people screaming at each other in the store. Oh, it's my civil liberties. You're trampling on my rights to make me wear a mask. A very uninvasive type of action. Here, mask wearing is so commonplace. This is before the, 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 the pandemic, so commonplace. People wear them all the time, whether it's it's allergy season, whether um, it's cold outside and they just want to put it on to warm their face up. Um, mm. Women women will put on masks sometimes because they didn't feel like putting on makeup that day. So they'll just wear the mask at, at work. Like that's how <laughs> common it is. And people watching people in America well, freak out right. about it. It's, it's, so, it's so foolish and funny. Because it was mandated. Uh, if we, even before, just <laughs> mandated. I think mandate's part yeah. of it, um, yeah. but I, yeah, it's it's just so I funny. That's why it was, you know. But I I think I could I like you know I wore my mask regardless. <laughs> they didn't have to mandate nothing for me. I'm like I'm going to do everything <laughs> to stay safe. Yeah, get your mask, rock it out properly. You can color color coordinate it with your clothes and your sneakers <laughs> and all that, like. I mean, that's what we do, right? As as humans, yeah. we we take bad situations and we can, you know, we can try to work through them and make them better. So if you got to, mm -hmm. we're wearing masks, hey, let's make that fit, you know, match it with your tie when you're wearing your suit. So like, right. you know what I mean? Like, we can get through that. Well, my message, this is me speaking personally, is get vaccinated, wear your masks, do social distancing, take this very seriously because we're still in the middle of, of the pandemic and it, you know it, it, every time it seems like we're over it we're not so let's, let's keep taking this as seriously as we can but i would like to move on if, if we can to another topics so like maybe dave Chappelle or uh, or the olympics take your, <laughs> take your pick <laughs> um yeah either either or i think the the you know the olympics was kind of interesting i'm not watching the are you watching the olympics I'm no. watching some of it. No. I like the ski skating. Yeah, I'm watching the, the skiing. Yeah, I, I watch. And um, here's another one I watch. I'm trying to figure out uh, how it became an Olympic game. I forgot the name of it. Curling. Yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wow, well, you know, because I said, you know, you have to have a lot of arm strength to put <laughs> <laughs> a curling. So it's quite interesting. But there was that controversy over the athlete who failed her drug test. Right. And she's apparently still yeah. Russian skater, still being allowed to compete despite failing the drug test. And some people have brought that up 
as contradictory given that there was an athlete who failed a test last year but was not allowed to compete. Right. So there are two there there were two main points here. One because uh, for athletes in general, because they all have the, the drug test requirements for any type of sports mainly, or even, even the Olympics or professional sports. And so she failed it, but was allowed to compete. So athletes in general are like, hey, what's going on with this? And then there are people who are looking at what happened with Sheree uh, Richardson, who was the, the track and field runner for the USA um, in the Summer Olympics, who failed her drug test when she smoked uh, a little bit of marijuana after her mother passed. And she did that to help deal with the pressure and the grief that she was going mm-hmm. through. Um, and she was not allowed to compete for in, in the Olympics, but this, this girl is allowed to compete. So people are looking for there to be a balance of, of um, you know, whatever the issues are. And one, then there's others who are saying because Cherie's black and then, you know, the other girls, uh, Russian white woman, uh, right girl, sorry, she's 15. Um, and so they're, they're there. So. Yeah, that was an interesting point that the, I guess it was um, an arbitration court, they call it. You know, the, the Olympics have their own kind of uh, hearing where they determine, it's like, it's like an appeal that you can appear before. And they cited some kind of policy that because she's 15 she's what they call a protected athlete and so she's protected from the anti-dope rules somehow which i find that to be a little strange um they say that because she's 15 she's protected but the argument is that if they were to ban her from competing she would suffer irreparable harm um and i guess they're saying that someone who is of age um won't suffer harm or maybe they just don't care about protecting the older ones because they think that they should know better why does she take the medication? That's that's the question that that needs to be um, answered. And I haven't seen that in any news. Like the, to be clear, what what the girl took, the, the gymnast, the fifteen year old gymnast, she she apparently had this this heart medication in her system. Now nothing has been reported that I've seen that says she has a heart condition or that she's taking it for legitimate reasons. Um, what this drug does increases blood flow to the heart. So it could be in a, a performance enhancer in that regard. Mm. So we don't know why she took it, what was the use for it, um, but we know Sheree Richards took weed and weed isn't a performance enhancing drug. If anything, it would kind of retard your performance a little bit. But <laughs> she'll make you look a little slower, right? Yeah, right. You can, you can see her like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna win. Yeah, I'm not worried about nothing. That, that was, so, was she a uh, runner? What, what what sport did she play? Um, the Cherie Richardson. Yeah, she's she's a sprinter. Yeah, yeah like sprinter. Yeah, a sprinter. yeah, so she'll be she'll be sprinting like with a donut in her hands and just like you know, having munchies, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, right. She would not be sprinting very fast if she was high on weed. She just <laughs> care. Um, so so I mean, that is, a, I think, a valid concern. You raised real questions. I mean, why was she taking the heart medication? Um, why do you consider weed to be performance enhancer? It's really not. Um, should it even be on the list of substances at this point? I mean, it's a pretty widespread drug, and it's legal in many places, increasingly more places now. So those are very real questions to ask. And also, there does seem to be a double standard here. I mean, you know, maybe there are legitimate reasons for for ruling one way in one case and another in another case, but it doesn't look good, right? I think we should ask right. for some kind of consistency or demand a better explanation for what's going on here. Right. I agree. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, 
Um, I don't I don't buy the argument that, you know, she's 15. So she falls out of outside of that because, you know, that whole field, you look at the, the gymnastics and, and all of that stuff. Those are all 12 to, to 16 year olds competing at this Olympic mm -hmm. world level. And so mm -hmm. if you can do that, a performance mm -hmm. enhancer is still going to give you an edge out of someone else doing the same thing. So I don't buy mm -hmm. that, you know, they're, they're that, that age um, excuse. I don't either. Right. It struck me as interesting because in the law, we have what's called a protected class, but usually it's about a group that's discriminated against, um, you know, racially or maybe sex-based discrimination, uh, eth you know, ethnic background, uh, country of origin, things of that nature. But you don't usually hear of a 15-year-old being protected from anti-dope laws. That's just, that, yeah. that struck me as kind of weird. It, it kind of sounds like, you know, they got caught and this was an excuse, right. you know? Right. But, but apparently it is part of their policy. Though. I don't think they just made that up. Apparently, apparently right. it's part of the policy that if you're 15, you, you get more protections, you know. It's just, and that's another question. Should we expect the athletes of all ages to take responsibility if they can perform for the Olympics, right? I think when it comes to doping, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's like an age-based type of uh, uh, decision that needs to be, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, yeah, like, I don't think that's a it's good. something to be looked into with the Olympic Committee. I think whoever uh, make, makes the rules, I think they need to go back and talk about it a little bit more because I'm sure she's not the first. She probably was the first at 15. She probably was the first one that got caught. <laughs> but maybe not the first, you know, probably. Well, I thought she was the first one that got caught, but <laughs> I think it's just a big news story now because of what happened right. last year. And I think, I think like I said, the, the main thing I think what the, the media needs to follow up with is why she had it in her system. Because if she yeah. if she has a heart condition and this is a legitimate thing that she's taken, then I think maybe you might have an argument for an exemption. exemption. Um, but then it still can be a performance enhancer. And it, would that yeah. even be fair for other other athletes that you're competing yeah. against, even if you're taking it for legitimate reasons? So. Yeah, yeah, they need to really examine that. They really do. Right. You know, the, yeah, I, th I think. Okay. Well, speaking of the media getting it right and not getting it right, Dave Chappelle, what's going on there? Yes. Apparently, there was a story that he was trying to block affordable housing in his city, and then he came out more recently and said that wasn't the truth. The media kind of put their own spin on it, and it wasn't accurate. And I think the first reaction a lot of us are going to have is, well, they're out to get him right now because he's, he's you know, kind of public enemy number one. Uh, but the media does do that sometimes. And, and to be fair, sometimes it's an honest mistake, but oftentimes there's an ax to grind and there's an agenda there. And, and, and oftentimes it's a combination of both, right? Yeah, I think it's kind of sensationalism in, in, this, in this regard. You know, Dave Chappelle opposes affordable housing is a very, is much more of a sensational headline that's going to get clicks and views than, than Dave Chappelle opposes uh an ill-conceived land development in his community <laughs> like yeah. I, I think you know but that's always the debate i mean we said she but we see this in new york all the time i mean you know we we've been involved for years in what's going on in new york city you see this debate is framed 
on both sides the same way time and time again. I mean, you come out against any particular project, you might have very valid reasons for opposing it, but people on the other side are going to say that you, 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 know, you, you hate poor people, you're against affordable housing, okay. whatever it is. And we know that in New York City especially, and, and I'm sure in, in Ohio as well, uh, affordable housing is, is a buzz term. I mean, it's something I think we all kind of like the sound of and, and aspire to, but is it, is it truly affordable? I mean, people... People use that as a feel-good term when it's not really what we're getting most of the time. No, there's a difference between low-income housing and affordable. A huge difference. Because uh, affordable can be $2,000 plus. (laughs) Yes. Affordable housing in Beverly Hills, you know, it'd be very, very different than affordable housing in Mobile, Alabama, you know. Here's my beef also. That's a very good point. In New York, you look at the different counties that we have and they could be in relatively close proximity geographically, but so far apart in terms of uh, income levels. And so when they use the federal AMI, the area mean income uh, for our area, they're pulling in counties that are so disparate. So, so you can be in, in one area and I forget the county, even within the county, you have so much difference. So you can be in one particular neighborhood, one particular area, and your, your area mean income is is really artificially inflated by this figure that pulls in data from other counties where, where they're much more well off financially. So that's a problem. It's not really the area's mean income that they're looking at here. I, I think what we do need to, before going forward, um, is make it clear that um, it came out, Dave Chappelle wasn't opposing affordable housing because there really, there wasn't any planned affordable housing um, at all. Like this development company had purchased, uh, I think it was like 52 or 54 acres of land and they wanted to, to make these developments of $300,000 houses um, right. in, in that community. Um, there was no plan that they were gonna develop affordable housing. The city wasn't gonna develop affordable housing. There was just a portion of the land that um, was going to have to be set aside for potential for, for affordable housing, but nobody was building it. Nobody was building anything. The thing that was going to be built were these other homes, and that's what Dave Chappelle and some of the others were opposing because it would make the community less affordable, um, mm-hmm. and it didn't take into account the culture and and, and whatnot of the community. So I think that yeah, the concerns about gentrification. Um, and also the concerns about burdening, uh, like, like you said, the residents who live there uh, in more ways than one. It can make it less affordable for them. It could also put a strain on their resources. I and mean, we, we see this a lot. And people say that these are not good faith arguments, but they really are. I mean, if you're coming in and you're trying to build a project in a neighborhood, you do have to take into, you should take into consideration the people who live there and how it's going to affect their lives. I mean, you look at things like strain on the infrastructure, you know, the sewer system or, or the, you know, the, the electric, the schools, are you adding more classroom space? Are you going to overcrowd the schools even more by doing this? Uh, what about the traffic, the roads, the public transportation, uh, police and fire, all these things, parking, they have to be taken into consideration when, because, you know, it is people's uh, lives that you're affecting here. And, and you know, you, you do want to build housing that is truly affordable, affordable for people, but you also want to make sure it's done in, in a correct way, in, in the proper way, and that you don't overly burden the people who are already living there. But you know, Mike, I think this has happened to a lot of small towns in America, because I look at the town that it's I happened live in. New York City. But uh, yeah, the town that I'm in, and they were saying the town was going to run out of water because of all the construction that's going on. 
they have uh, priced uh, priced the people that they're, uh, I call them indigenous people that have lived here for years. They have priced us out. Um, so it's a lot that goes on. They, the culture changes. And I think that's a fear too. Uh, the culture changes and it gets to the place that um, there's no, because I, I would say this, a lot of the small towns, people uh, knew one another. It's like a family. And when you know every, everyone, but when you have these developers that come in and for some reason, city council or the mayor of that town goes along with them, what happens, where's the voice of the people that were originally there? I, so I can see Joe right. Chappelle and the people that he was uh, being the voice for um, rebelling against these developers, or not rebelling, but saying, we don't want them here. They're gonna change our lives. That's what ended up happening. He, he basically was the voice of the residents and he threatened the city council by saying that I won't invest in a comedy club, I believe he's planning to build there, um, which, mm -hmm. is, which is gonna be big for the community. I won't do that if you approve these changes. And they did go along with him. Yeah, and it was more about, I don't know what the developer is going to stop building, but it's it's that they were protesting against uh, city funds being used to assist in this uh, in this development. And basically, Chappelle said, look, let's do big bank, take little bank. So the, the proposed contract was like 25 million. Chappelle's like, I've got 60 million around here invested and in this town. And so I'll take all that and walk for this 25 million that you're trying to push through that doesn't you know, do anything for the people. Right, and that's, that's the issue. And I think, like I said, a lot of these small towns, if you, that, that has happened. And I think that town wanted to just put a stop to what they have seen going on in the town, small towns in America. Yeah, and I think another component of that um, to me is that, and that kind of gives reason for Chappelle to speak up and, I, and it hasn't been reported or whatever, this is what I think. It is a small town, right? It's a very small town. Chappelle's famously said it's a small town. He's out and about in the town because it just, you know, it's that type of place. I think a big developer coming in, one, they come in and do this 50 acres of vacant land for cheap, um, but two, they can pull, put these houses on there with the with the idea when they sell these houses that hey you're basically in the town living next to Chappelle and you can mingle with this celebrity because he's out and about in this town and I think that's you know would be part of their selling point at least maybe not verbally said but like that idea right in there that's that's baked there that's probably also why he's so eager to shut it down I mean aside from other listed reasons that we cited I'm sure he probably doesn't want to be used. Uh, right. basically being exploited for developers gain. Right. That that's why people play pay premiums in like Beverly Hills and they pay premiums in other neighborhoods is because you know there's celebrities in there or famous people and you might bump into them at the right. store or, you know. Yeah especially with him playing to build a comedy club it's like normally a comedian who's aspiring to get on with <laughs> might move to New York or Los Angeles hey why don't I move to Yellow Springs Ohio with this new comedy club and I can live next to Dave Chappelle. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, because you see how how he how much he is in the public, like he's basically living a normal life out there to some degree. Because yeah. right. going to local town he says hall, that's what he likes about. 
Yeah, he's going to the city council meetings and, yeah. and the town halls and the grocery right. stores. And, you know, when this happens to these towns like that, it comes to it comes to the place where you don't know anybody in the town anymore. And I think they want to safeguard that too. Right. You know, so it's it's like it seems like it's like a little a family town, like maybe two thousand people the most <laughs> population fifteen hundred. <laughs> they want to keep it that way. He's also described it as a very progressive place, right? He said right. it's kind of like I think he once said it's kind of like Bernie Sanders country in the middle of Trump Trump town or something like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, people live there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think it was just yeah, media kind of ran with the sensational point of that without giving the 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 rest of the meat. Well, the media needs attention. But you think that is because they're just trying to make him look bad at this point? Um, I think that there could be some, I mean, making Chappelle look bad would be, would definitely play into, um, you know, some good talk right now. Cause you know, there's still the ongoing controversy in a lot of people's minds from his last special, the closer. And so, um, some bad news on Chappelle kind of, uh, helps for that, that type of argument or just for, uh, um, you know, um, controversial argument in general, you know? Right, they know there's controversy surrounding him, so you come up with a headline and a story that's that kind of feeds the controversy, and it's more clicks and, and more money. Right. Oh, you thought Chappelle was so great with his Pretty with his enough. special <laughs> here? Well, yeah. Well, look at this. He hates poor people. You, yeah. here, here's your savior. Yeah. yeah. So well, it was a good discussion. Any closing thoughts? We've been on here for for a while. Went, went fast. Yeah. I think the game. I don't think the game should have been included in the halftime show. <laughs> oh man! Or or she said who? That wasn't very nice, but that that was inadvertent. I know that was that was an innocent who. <laughs> I do want to give one shout out though. One one thing that I found really dope. One uh, well two actually. Um, I didn't realize that was Anderson Park um, playing uh, the instrument next to Eminem um, during the performance, um, but. While everyone's giving everybody props on on their performance and how hip hop was represented and thing, I think we should also recognize that the announcer was MC Light. I think that's hella dope. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You know, we're talking way. You know, she's old school and she's yeah. going from there to now she's announcing for the NFL like it's nothing. Uh, I think it's a. I think it's great. Should be also mentioned. Pop made it. A big moment. It's a big moment. And you know what? It might go down in history as, as a moment uh, in American history, especially in light of what's going on in, in, in the world and in the country right now. You know, the fact that hip hop can take center stage at the Super Bowl and have its moment is pretty significant. And, you know, I'm happy Tell about that. Tell me send me a pair of boots. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for the conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you to Facebook. Catch you guys next time. Okay.